Welcome to episode 41 of 10 Zero. I'm Maria. And I'm Caitlin. How are we doing? Well, now that, you know, I don't have an open wound on my foot. Yeah. And. Yeah. Um, we've upgraded to papaya parasite. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> papaya parasite. I forgot about that. <laughs> oh, our little parasite. Oh, man. What I think you meant to say was my new birthday twin. Sure. <laughs> not making any promises. It's going to be hot. It's going to be the middle of summer. Uh-huh. And I'm going to hate every single person who tells me, hey, you need to keep the baby in until this day because I said so. Because I'm going to look at them and be like, I will treat fuck these you. places. <laughs> Go <fucking> <laughs> <laughs> Like, <clears throat> it's not bad now because it's, you know, we're just moving from her to false spring. Yeah. In the state of Indiana. So false spring. <laughs> I'm sure we got one more snowstorm in there somewhere. Don't say that. Well, it's the truth. I don't want it. Or we're gonna have stuff, you know, drop down in temperature from like fifty degrees or sixty to like today down to like twenty two. I can deal with it being cold. I don't want to be cold anymore. I like the snow. I don't like a snowstorm on days we had to go to work. Yeah. That's what I don't like. That's the shit I don't like. Yeah, that stuff's not allowed. <laughs> um, I don't... Okay. I don't mind it snowing on the days that we work. As long as it's not a snowstorm. As long as it's not a snowstorm. Because last time was fucking ridiculous. But, to deal with the snowstorm itself, and going home with the roads kind of crappy in the morning, then having to deal with the aftermath of each storm like we have so far. I'll give you that. Sorry. But I don't like dealing with the, I went out on the roads when I wasn't supposed to, and now I'm stuck. Bullshit. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel. <laughs> We're in Northwest Indiana. The roads are going to get shitty uh-huh, uh-huh. when it snows. Uh-huh. There's going to be a lot of drifting because we live where it's primarily flat. We live where the air hurts our face. That too. <laughs> <laughs> so we have, you know, people who, well, I still have to go to work. Well, if your county is technically in the red, your job cannot hold that against you for not going. Unless you are, you know, say us. Emergency personnel. Or medics or firefighters or people supposed to be out helping people and stuff like this. Um, stay home. <laughs> and don't drive like an ass. Yeah. If you have to go out. Anyway. I have a doozy, so we're going to go. We're going to. Do true crime fact of the day. Plow through. Ha, get it. Plow through. <laughs> We're going to do our true crime fact of the day, and then I am going to do our paranormal side. See, si. So, we are in Madrid. March 11th of 2004. 193 people are killed and nearly 2,000 were injured when 10 bombs exploded on four trains in three Madrid-area train stations. These attacks were initially suspected to be the work of the Basque, I think, B-A-S-Q-U-E, Separatist yes. Militant Group ETA. And this was soon proven to be incorrect as evidence mounted against an extreme Islamist militant group loosely tied to the Al-Qaeda. Of course it was. 
enjoying your clicky clackies on your Reese's. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. So we're going to go to the Gorley Rectory, Mm -hmm. which was constructed on Hall Road near Gorley Church by Reverend Henry Dawson Ellis Bull. Fucking mouthful. That's a lot of names. In 1862. He moved in a year after being named director of the parish. I didn't actually like pay attention to where this was. I, it, I'm I know 90% it's, sure it's in England. I know it's England. I just don't remember where. Oh, please. <clears throat> I'm a horrible note taker this week, apparently. It's fine. Uh, it's in Essex, England. Yes. Continue. Okay. The house replaced an earlier rectory on the site that had been destroyed by fire and that'll come into play later. Okay. It eventually was enlarged by the addition of a wing to house Bull's family of 14 children. All I have to say is ow. Duh. I, I, no. I, I'm no. number four. <laughs> And can confirm I will never do this again in my entire life. Mm. Uh, (laughs) The nearby church, which is dated to roughly the 12th century, um, serves a scattered rural community of three hamlets that make up the parish. Mm -hmm. There are several, like, farmhouses and, like, remains of Borley Hall. Yeah. Yeah. which was once the seat of the Waldgrave family. Ghost hunters quote the legend of a Benin monastery mm-hmm. supposedly built in the area yep. around 1362, um, according to which a monk from the monastery conducted a relationship with a nun mm-hmm. from the nearby convent. After their affair was discovered, the monk was executed and the nun was supposedly bricked alive in the which I mean back then I guess that would be considered a punishment like and no one would even bat an eye squirrel do you remember that story it was an Edgar Allan Poe story I think the cask of (sighs) crap but the guy was stealing wine or something and he bricked him up. A Montevideo. Yeah, that one. Sorry, or squirrel. A Montiato or whatever it is. Something. Yeah. <clears throat> I just couldn't remember what the name of it was. Sorry, continue. Anyways. I'm squirrel. like. Don't mind me. So. <laughs> My normal squirrel moment. It was confirmed in 1938 that this legend had no historical basis whatsoever. And it was fabricated by the rector's children to romanticize the gothic style red brick rectory. But but why? <laughs> why would you make that up to tell your children? I, I don't know. <laughs> me, being that child, would think that I could pull bricks out of the wall and, and I could find a skeleton. Yeah. <laughs> find remains. Okay. Continue. The nearby church, which may date from like the 12th century, 
Sir, already? Yeah. Okay. I uh, screwed up my notes. Um, the first paranormal events reported occurred in 1863, since a few locals later remembered having heard unexplained footsteps within the house. Mm-hmm. On July 28th of 1900, four daughters of the rector saw what they believed was the ghost of a nun at twilight about 40 yards from the house. They tried to talk to it, but it disappeared as they got closer. The local organist, Ernest Ambrose, later said that the family at the rectory were very convinced that they had seen an apparition on several occasions. Which, I mean, any old building, I'm sure... Bound to have some it, it's bound to type have of something. ghost. I'm sure somebody died there at point. Right. Um, various people claim to have witnessed a variety of puzzling incidents. Like a phantom coach driven by two headless horsemen. Over the next four decades. Uh-huh. Bull died in 1892 and his son, Henry Hoister Bull, took over. Okay. Um, on June 9th of 1927, Henry had died. And the rectory again became vacant. The following year, on October, Reverend Guy Eric Smith and his wife moved into the house. Soon after moving in, Smith's wife, while cleaning out a cupboard, came across a brown paper package containing a skull of a young woman. Brown paper package is tied up with string. You would know. <laughs> this is how you find boxes with skulls inside them. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, anyways. Oh, anyways. Shit. Shortly after, the family reported a variety of incidents, including the sounds of servant bells ringing, despite being disconnected, lights appearing in windows. And unexplained footsteps. Uh-huh. In addition, Smith's wife believed she saw a horse-drawn carriage at night, which would match others. It, yes, but if you've heard the story before, right, it's easy kind of thing. to like make imagine. yourself think that you yeah. see it. Um, Not to discredit her, or right? Anything, but. The Smiths contacted the Daily Mirror, asking to be put in touch with the society of psychical yeah psychical research mm-hmm. i feel like that shouldn't be a word like that just psychical. it's weird it, it it does not roll off the tongue like yeah. it should be a real word it sounds um, like it's a tongue twister and it yeah. is on june 10th of 1929 the newspaper sent a reporter who promptly wrote the first in a series of articles detailing the mysteries of Borley. They were also arranged for Harry Price, who is a paranormal researcher, mm-hmm. to make his first visit to the house. He arrived on June 12th, and immediately a phenomena of a new kind appeared, such as the throwing of stones, a vase, and other objects. Part of me wants to believe this, but part of me is like, Oh, just because one person shows up, it's not going to happen. Like, that. 
Yeah. I mean, Harry Price was like a debunker kind of person. Right. I've been binging, and that's why we drink. Uh-huh. And M did a huge, like, three-episode like oh, thing yeah. about Harry Price. So, he's a interesting spirit messages, heavy air quotes, were tapped out from the frame of the mirror. Yeah. Okay. Like, how were they tapped out? Like, like code? Like tapped? Yeah. Kind of thing? Or like, one is A, two, B. Right. Can you imagine trying to spell, like, xylophone or something? Oh, my God. Like, (laughs) I don't know. Well, that's, like, Morse code. How do you, like, decipher between a long and, like, shorts? Like, it doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? Like, if it's tapped out, there's no way to make it long. Everything's short. I mean, if there's a gap. But there's not supposed to be a gap. I know. Like that. I mean, obviously, that's I don't mind me just taking my eye out with my glasses. <laughs> it's fine. But, like, the actual Morse code thing yeah. has a long yeah. beep. So. Because it all goes by how long you're pressing something mm-hmm. down. But at the same time, if it's from the frame of a mirror, it doesn't have that option. So everything no. is short. So yes. you basically have like yes or no questions only, and it'd be like, "Did you used to live here?" Not once for yes, right. two for no. I mean, like if you do SOS, it's right kind of thing. I don't know. That I, makes sense. Yeah, but at the same time, like, I mean, that could easily be mistaken too, because right. you do the three, and then you do the one, yeah, and then you do the three. So that could be the four, you know. Yeah. It, it, I mean, obviously, that's the only more support I know. But anyway, <laughs> as soon as Christ left, everything ceased. Shocker. Like that. I think that's part of the reason that I don't believe that that actually happened. Like, just because he was there. <clears throat> I don't know. I'm like, went into many different things that he's debunked right. and. It's, it's weird how people, how, like, the lengths people will go to, I just spit all over myself, (laughs) the lengths people will go to, to try to prove that something is haunted when it's really not, it's just smoke and mirrors. Right. Well, that's like the Lizzie Borden house. Right. Everything in that house is rigged. I'm sure. Because it's a tourist attraction. Yeah. Everything in that house is set up on a timer, set up on something that's going to set off a chain reaction you lay in one of the beds yeah you're going to end up hearing footsteps in the next room or the hallway because there's a pressure plate something am i saying that absolutely everything that happens in the lizzie borden house is staged no No. but a lot of in order for them to keep making money there has to be some kind of continuous yeah Thing and you have no way to control how whatever spirit, right. air quote, yeah. is there. So Smith's wife later maintained that she already suspected Price, an expert conjurer of falsifying the phenomena. Okay. 
why did why is he a, an expert conjurer? But it's we know that when... he's famous. Yeah. For debunking things, so how is he the one manifesting all of it? Right. That doesn't make sense. Right. The Smiths left Borley on the fourteenth of July. Okay. And the parish had some difficulty in finding a replacement. The following year, so 1930, mm-hmm. Reverend Lionel Foister, I don't like that word, <laughs> <laughs> a first cousin of the Bulls and his wife Marianne, um, moved into the rectory with their adopted daughter, Adelaide, mm-hmm. on October 16th. So Lionel wrote an account of various strange incidents that incidents that occurred between the time they moved in and October 1935, which was sent to Harry Price. This included bell ringing, window shattering, the throwing of stones and bottles, wall writing, and the locking of their daughter in a room with no key. So back then... Wall writing? Yes. Like... Like, literally wall writing? Like, stuff written on the walls? Yes. Okay. So, back then, they had doors that used, like, skeleton keys. Yeah. And almost every, like, old house has that one door that just... The key doesn't doesn't budge. The key doesn't work. There's always that extra key, Mm -hmm. and it's always in that one room. Like, my old house had it. Like, we had pocket doors. And we had my mom's art room. And then, like, the upstairs bedrooms all had old doors, too. Our bathroom door had its own separate key. But every other door opened with the skeleton that we had. Yeah. So, this one was off by, like, maybe a millimeter. That's how it goes. And... If you locked yourself in that bathroom, there's no unlock button on the other side. Like, there was no little switch you could move. Nothing. And all the doors were like that. Yeah, no. I'm good. So, if you got locked inside, you got locked inside. (laughs) Thankfully, like, our house had the hotel windows above the doors. Mm -hmm. So, it wasn't that big of a deal. We just moved a chair. Got in. Or got out. Whichever. Um, But it's possible that she was actually locked in a room with no key. Marianne reported to her husband a whole range of poltergeist activity that include her being from her bed. On one occasion, Adelaide was attacked by something horrible. That's all I could find on it. Okay. Was something horrible. Heavy air quotes. Lionel tried twice to conduct an exorcism, but his efforts did not work. Um, In the middle of the first exorcism, he was struck in the shoulder by a fist-sized stone. Because of the publicity in the Daily Mirror, these incidents attracted the attention of several psychics, psychic researchers. um, But after their investigation, they were unanimous and in suspecting that they were caused 
by Marianne. Like, consciously or unconsciously, like, she possibly didn't know that she was doing it. But they thought it was her. Um, She said that she felt some of the incidents were caused by her husband and one of the psychic researchers. But other events appeared to her to be genuine and paranormal. Hmm. Um, She later admitted that she was having a affair with the lodger Frank Peerless, Peerless, um, and that she used paranormal explanations to cover up her liaisons. Oh. So she made it up. She made up a lot of it to um, cover up the fact that she was fucking somebody else. Well, then. <laughs> so. That escalated quickly. Yeah. Um, they ended up leaving Borley in October of 1935 because of Lionel falling ill. Okay. Um, Borley remained vacant for some time. So two years. I think. Hold on. Um, So in May of 1937, Price took out a year-long rental agreement with Queen Anne's Bounty, the owners of the property, Mm -hmm. um, through... An advertisement in the Times on May 25th of 1937 and like personal interviews, Price recruited 48 official observers, mostly students, who spent periods during like the weekends at the rectory with instructions to report any and all phenomena that occurred. Okay. In March of 1938, Helen Glanville um, conducted a Planchet Seance in South London, and Price reported that she made contact with two spirits, the first of which was a young nun who identified herself as Marie Lair, um, for lack of knowing how to pronounce that. According to the Planchet story, Marie was a French nun who left her religious order and traveled to England because wanted to marry a member of the Walgrave family, which were the owners of the 17th century manor house, Morley Hall. She said, or she was said to have been murdered in an older building on the site of the rectory and her body either buried in the cellar or thrown into a disused well. The wall writings were alleged or alleged to be her pleas for help. One read, Marriott, dear God, I can't talk. Please help me get out. Oh, yeah. I don't like that. The second spirit to be contacted identified himself as Senex Amoris? Amoris? Just because, don't know how to pronounce it. And claimed that he would set fire to the rectory at 9 o'clock that night, which was March 27th, 1938. Mm-hmm. He also said, at that time, the bones of a murdered person would be revealed. Oh. Yeah. On February 27th, 1939, 
The new owner of the rectory, Captain W.H. Gregson, was unpacking boxes and accidentally knocked over an oil lamp in the hallway. The fire quickly spread and the house was severely damaged. After investigating the cause of the blaze, the insurance company concluded that the fire seemed to have been started deliberately. But he just bumped into it. Yeah. Heavy air quotes. Hmm. A Miss Williams from a nearby or from nearby Borley Lodge said she saw the figure of a ghostly nun in the upstairs window. And according to Harry Price, demanded a fee of one guinea to tell her story. So that right there, you're just doing it to get money. Right. Um, in August of 1943, Price conducted a brief dig in the cellars of the ruined house and discovered two bones, thought to be of a young woman. The okay. bones were given to a Christian burial in Liston Churchyard. Dear God, <laughs> can't talk. I'm over it. After the parish of Borley refused to allow the ceremony to take place on account of a, the local opinion that the bones were found were those of a pig. But why would they be in the basement? Right. That I mean, doesn't make sense. They could butcher a pig in the basement, I guess, but... Yeah, but even still, why would you want to butcher something that's in a basement with nowhere to go? You're going to make a mess. It's going to stink. Yeah. I mean, back then, it wasn't really that big of a deal. They all smelled anyway. I showered. Once a year, it's right. fine. <laughs> so the land of what was the rectory now has been divided up partly with a farm and four bungalows. Okay. That's all I got. Have you seen the famous picture of the rectory? Yes. With the brick? Yes. Okay. That is messed up. It is. That's definitely one I will post when we do the... I, I just... It's... There's not a whole lot of, like, concrete yeah. evidence. And I think that's what bugs me the most about it. Because everyone's like, oh, the Boiler Rectory is one of the most haunted places in Europe, blah, blah, blah. Give me, like, concrete proof. Right. I want to know all of the gory details. Mm-hmm. I want, like, timelines of what happened. I want everything. Here lately, nothing that I am researching even comes remotely close to having enough evidence. No, I agree. Like, I want... 100% proof. Yes. I mean, probably also not in a lot of places that have absolute concrete proof. Right. But I want something that's got our brains turning trying to figure out everything. I don't want to just, you know, sit here and be like, well, that's all I got. (laughs) And then let's not talk about it. Yeah. So. We're staying in England slash Portugal for mine. Okay. It's an unsolved which makes me very, very angry. 
It is a small child, so fair warning. Just saying. Okay. It's, it seems like all I've been doing lately <laughs> involves children. You know, not me being the pregnant cherry Dr. Pepper, like, glaring at you. It's fine. It's all fine. So, Madeline Beth McCann was born May 12th, 2003 in Leicester, Leicester, England, I think. At the time of her disappearance, she was 2 feet 11 inches tall, blonde hair. She had a blue-green left eye, and her right eye was green with like a, almost like a brown square in the iris. Comes into play later. Her parents, Kate and Jerry McCann, they were both physicians. Kate attended All Saints School in Anfield, then Notre Dame High School in Everton Valley, graduating in 1992 with a degree from the University of Dundee. She practiced in OB, anesthetics, and then finally settled in general practice. Jerry attended Holyrood Secondary School and graduated from the University of Glasgow with a BS in physiology and sports medicine in 1989. In 2002, he obtained his MD. The McCanns met in 1993 and were married in 1998. After Madeline was born in 2003, the couple had twins, a boy and a girl, that were born in 2005. Okay. Okay? So, a little backstory. So, then we go on vacation. Makes me angry. Because I want to be on vacation. Also, what happens? April 28th of 2007... The McCanns arrived at their vacation rental in Praia de Luz. Um, it's a village on the southwestern tip of Portugal with a population of about a thousand people. The village is also known as Little Britain due to the amount of British homeowners and holiday visitors. Okay. So, for this story to make sense, I kind of have to give the layout of the apartment, okay? It was a two-bedroom apartment on the ground floor in the fifth block of a group of apartments known as Waterside Village. The McCanns were visiting with a group of friends that would later become known as the Tapas Seven Mm -hmm. due to them frequenting a tapas restaurant that was around the corner from their apartment every night. The apartment was accessible to the public from two sides. There was a sliding glass patio door in the living room at the back that overlooked the Ocean Club's pool tennis courts, the tapas restaurant, and the bar. And the second entry was a patio door that could be accessed from the public street. Okay. The McCann children slept in a bedroom next to the front door, which was kept locked. Mm-hmm. The bedroom had one waist-high window with curtains and a metal exterior shutter, which was controlled by a cord inside the window. The cord... <sighs> nope, the curtain shutter remained closed throughout the vacation. Okay. Okay. Sorry, I forgot to do this. The window in the bedroom overlooked a narrow walkway and a small parking spot, which was separated from the street by a low wall. Madeline slept in a single bed next to the bedroom door on the opposite side of the room from the window. And the twins were in like little travel cot things, like a pack and play kind of thing in the middle of the room and there was a, another single bed underneath the window okay so moving to may 3rd of 2007 
during the day, the kids spent the morning in the restaurant, restaurants, resorts, kids club. Then the family had lunch at their apartment before her heading back to the pool. Kate took the last known photograph of Madeline at two that afternoon, sitting by the pool next to her father and her two-year-old sister. Can you imagine being a mom, obviously, your mom, taking a picture of your kid, your kid being kidnapped, and you know that it's the last picture you ever have of your child. I don't want to think about it. I mean, obviously nobody does, but <laughs> fuck. Well, that would just be like, okay, telling your kid, be careful, love you, sending them to drive right. somewhere where they never come home. So the kids returned to the kids club. Then around six o'clock that night, Kate took them back to the apartment while Jerry was at a tennis lesson. Mm -hmm. The McCann's put the kids to bed around seven o'clock. Madeline was wearing her pink and white Eeyore pajamas with her comfort blanket and cat. Okay. Okay. So around 8.30, the parents go to the tapas restaurant. This, this bothers me. A lot. Why was no one there with the kids? Exactly. I don't care how close your apartment is to the restaurant. I don't care that you can see the front door from your table. There's two entrances to your apartment. One that is not visible to you. Yeah. Anyway. So... I didn't start leaving my kids alone until this past year. Yeah. Aiden was 12. Mm-hmm. And he has a phone. Well, he had a phone. Um, <laughs> I smashed that bitch. But, like... Like, Madeline was four. She's four. And she has two-year-old twin siblings. You cannot expect a four-year-old to be capable of taking care of herself and twins. No. Even if it's only for an hour while you're gone. Like, there's absolutely well, no reason. So, they do periodic checks on the kids. I'll get into that in a minute. But... But how do you think that's okay? I don't think... My parents started leaving me home alone. Until I was at least a teenager. My, like at least 13. My mom started leaving my brother and I alone around the same age. I decided that I was going to trust yeah. Aiden. But Aiden had to like prove himself. Yeah. Like purple of being able to handle it. And even then we're only gone for like a couple hours at a time. Yeah. If he needs anything, he can get a hold of us. If not, if he can't get a hold of us, his grandpa lives right on the street. Right. Like, it's, it's not like he's alone alone. No. So, at 8.30, Kate and Jerry left the apartment to have dinner with their friends at the, at the Tapas restaurant. Right. The distance from the table that they were sitting at to the apartment's front door was 295 feet. Okay. That's a pretty good walk. Yeah. Looking over at the apartment, the top of the building was visible, but the doors were not visible. Okay. 
as the patio doors could only be locked from the inside, so they were left unlocked with the curtains closed so they could let themselves in to check on the kids. There was a child safety gate at like the bottom of the stairs um, where the stairs left the patio and then another gate at the bottom of the steps. So there was a gate at the top and the bottom. Mm-hmm. The McCanns left a note with the reception at the restaurant requesting that the same table be booked for them at 8.30 for the last four nights of their stay due to their children being in the apartment just across the pool. Kate believes that Madeline's abductor saw this note. So she thinks that it's somebody that works there. Well. It wouldn't surprise me. It wouldn't wouldn't shock me. But at the same time, how are you that fucking careless? I mean, I get having that table reserved for you, but don't leave a note. Like, just say, just request that table. Right. Not because you're trying to watch your kids that are left alone in your apartment. Yeah. And why, okay, if you have an apartment... You obviously have a key. Why not just lock the damn door? Make sure windows are secure. That's my whole damn thing with this thing. And lock the fucking door. Jeremy makes fun of me because I locked my car door. And we live where we live. Okay, so I live where I live. And I have never, ever, until our golf cart got stolen. I've always, my mom was paranoid when I was younger, is less paranoid now. But always check your back seat. Oh, don't stand too close to your car because somebody's going to slash your ankles kind of thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm sorry. Maria's mom, but... Mom, you know I'm not wrong. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> that is like... <laughs> and I mean this in the nicest way possible, so don't hate me. But that is so psychotic. <laughs> Well, look at all these things that were I, happening I when know. we were kids. I know. But and Ted Kaczynski, this bullshit. I know. Can and you blame her? No. I can't. Columbine. But, like, right now, I want to, like, be that parent. But at the same time, I can't be. Because we see what that gets me. Right. Like, I tell my kids they can't play video games, and I get screamed and yelled at and hit and... I'm mean, beating the kids' ass. They hit me. Well, Over a fucking video game. Good night. <laughs> the only one that actually hits me is my two-year-old, and we're putting a stop to oh. that. Like, he knows you don't hit people. Did he call you poophead bitch when you did? <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of that. So, squirrel moment. I taught my kid how to cuss in context on accident. Appropriately. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of perfect. <laughs> so, he called my mom... And we're on the phone, and I go, do you want to go have dinner with Nana? And he goes, no. Fuck Nana. <gasps> and I'm like, oh. And my mom's like, what did you say? And he goes, I love you. Oh. And I'm like, oh, that is not what you said. <laughs> you little shit. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I am a, little shit. I am a horrible, horrible, horrible person when it comes to, like, washing my mouth in front of my children. And do I reprimand them for cussing? Absolutely not. Because I would rather them cuss than make up a word to replace it. When we all know what they're trying to really say. Right. But they know, like, you don't say it in public. You don't say it at school. 
You don't cuss people out. You don't say it when you're mad. You don't say it when you're mad. You definitely don't use the word hate to describe anybody. Like, my kids know what when to use it and when not to use it. So Jackson, one day, like, came downstairs. Aiden was being a dick. He goes, Aiden, fucking bitch! And I'm like, what, what did he do? And he explains, like, how Aiden took away the remote to the TV and punched him and then pushed him out of his room. Oh. And I go, all right, fair. I will give that one to you. Don't ever let anyone else out of this house hear you say it. Aiden, on the other hand, you get him around his little 13 and 14 year old friends and all he wants to do is cuss. And I'm like, mm-hmm. <laughs> but do I? Because I was, I was raised getting my ass beat. And I wanted to be that parent that didn't have to do that. No. And now it's biting me in the fucking ass. Well. So. <laughs> Listen, you poop head bitch. <laughs> <laughs> and, that, and that's Gordon's favorite thing. Like, he will, he will walk through the house and be like, poop head? But he's, he's started to edit himself. Like I do. So when I'm at home and I realize I'm cussing, like, I'll cut the word off halfway. So now it's not poop head bitch. It's poop head bitch. <laughs> I'm like, all right. I mean, I guess it's better than saying it, bitch it's somewhere. It's better than saying bitch. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> anyway, after our 10-minute yeah. long squirrel moment. Yes. So the first check on the kids was at 9.05. Okay. okay. Jerry that went. That wasn't that long. No. You know how this goes. Yes. I'm trying to. I want to justify it, but at the same point, I don't. I'm trying to justify how the parents were feeling. And in my head, I don't I'm like want, screaming at myself, no, you can't do that. I don't want a victim blame. But at the same time. But you left your door open. Yes. Unlocked. Yes. You left a note. Yes. With reception saying uh-huh. that you wanted this table because you had to go check on your kids. Yes. You literally let people know. That your children were left unattended in an unlocked apartment. So, like, I want to give them. I want to give them every benefit of the doubt, but you already got two strikes with me. Right. I want to, like, be that parent that sees it from their side. Oh, well, it's not that long. Like, it's 35 minutes. Frequently. In those 35 minutes, in those 35 she minutes. was taken. Yeah. It takes five seconds yeah. for your kid to get snatched out. would have just locked the fucking door. I don't understand why the door wasn't locked. So you didn't have to bring your key? Like, you don't have a pocket? Right. Like, you can't tell me. Okay, so this is the early 2000s. You cannot tell me that she didn't have one of those stupid-ass sequin fucking purses. Oh, my God. Those fucking purses. <laughs> I'm sorry, but everyone had them. <laughs> 40-year-old women had these purses I had, trying to pretend that they were 20 again. I had a blue one. <laughs> and then <laughs> my mom will remember this because I threw a fucking fit about this purse. So the mall in Huntsville. Uh-huh. Um, Parkway? Parkway Place, I think is what it was. They have, like, all the kiosks, kiosks yeah. down the middle. Mm-hmm. And there was one that was all purses, like really unique purses. This one had fucking bottle caps mm. all over it. 
fucking bottle caps. I threw a fit over that bag. I threw a fit over it. Anyway, enough about my bottle cap purse. So, when Jerry went to go check on the kids, he said that they were sleeping, all was fine, except he recalled having left the kids' bedroom door slightly cracked. And now it was wide open. But he pulled it almost all the way closed again before returning to the table. So did he not realize she was missing? Apparently she was still there. But how well did you really check? Right. Because now, 10 minutes later, is the Tanner sighting. This is a famous sighting within this case. Okay. So, Jane Tanner was one of the couple's one of the friends that was vacationing with the McCanns. She left the table around 9 o'clock to go check on her own daughter. She said that she passed Jerry on his way back to the table. And he was on his way back from his 905 check. And stated that he had stopped to chat with somebody that was walking down the street. Both Jerry and the person that he was talking with denied ever seeing Tanner on the road. Okay. This led police to think that Tanner made up her sighting, given how narrow the streets are. Tanner told the police that around 9.15, she had noticed a man carrying a young child walk across the intersection by the apartment just ahead of her. He was not far from Madeline's bedroom, heading east away from the front of the apartment. In the early days of the investigation, the direction the male was walking was important. The male was walking towards the house of a man that would later be a suspect, Robert Murat. So, if Jerry and this other person deny seeing you, mm-hmm. that completely invalidates everything you're about to say. Yeah. So, the child in the man's arms was wearing light pink pajamas with a floral pattern and cuffs on the legs, which was very similar to the pajamas that Madeline was wearing. Uh-huh. Remember the pink pink and white floral Eeyore uh-huh. pajamas? Okay. Tanner described the man as white dark-haired, five foot seven, of southeastern or Mediterranean appearance, 35 to 40 years old, wearing khakis and a dark jacket. According to Kate, Tanner gave this information to the Portuguese police as soon as Madeline was reported missing, but they did not pass the description along to the media until May 25th. Remember, this is May 3rd, so 22 days that information wasn't passed along. There's a whole, I have a whole list of bullshit that went on with this case. So later in the investigation to follow Madeline's fund, there was, her parents created something called Madeline's Fund. Yeah. They hired a forensic artist who created an image of the man who was released in October of 2007. The sighting became important because it offered investigators a time frame for the abduction, but Scotland Yard viewed it as a red herring. Okay. In October 2013, Scotland Yard said that a British vacationer had been identified as the man Tanner had seen. He had been returning to his apartment after retrieving his child from the Ocean Club. Why are you getting your child at 9 o'clock at night from the Ocean Club? A kid's club, mind you, is not going to be open until 9 o'clock at night. Doubtful. If... So... Ouch. It's possible. Okay. It's possible. I'm going to doubt it. These resorts and stuff like that now have like these daycare type yes clubs that are open anywhere from like 6 a.m to 10 
p.m. Yeah. Because they want parents to feel like, hey, you can drop off your kids. You can go to dinner by yourself. If that's the case, or though. you can go to breakfast by yourself. Why didn't the McCanns leave their children there? Right. Like It opens up a whole case of sardines. Because there's so many what ifs. Yeah. Why did you leave your front door unlocked when you have a key? Right. Why did you leave a note with the front desk explicitly stating that it was to like, watch your children who are alone in your apartment? If this ocean club is open this late. I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. I know. I, it, but there's so many things that just add up and build up. They wanted someone to take this child. And that... I'm wondering if they didn't expect all of them to come up missing. That's my other thing. Why just take the oldest one? Sex trafficking. Like, I, I, I don't want to go there, but a lot of girls yeah. that are abducted, they are abducted as young girls. But if that's the... And then they're groomed. If that's the case, there's a two-year-old girl right there. They have to be in that stage where... They don't necessarily need their parents. Yeah. They're going to miss their parents, but they're going to be groomed. They need to be impressionable. A two-year-old, while, you know, my son is living proof that they are very impressionable, but she's also a twin. It's going to be harder to groom her the way that she needs to be because of the twin bond that's yeah. broken. Plus, she's not going to have mom and dad. She's not going to have her sister because they're going to separate them. So you're not wrong. She would be more mentally broken than the four-year-old. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I've watched way too many crime shows. I shouldn't even fucking know that shit. I know it's disgusting with that. <laughs> so Scotland Yard took photos of the man wearing the same clothing and compared it to um, how Tanner described. Okay. The man walking, and it was determined that the sighting was not related. So they determined that it was somebody that was just carrying their child back home. What, which is completely possible. It, yeah. Those it, pajamas were mass produced. Right. Eeyore, come on. So, I mean, it's possible that the same age child, the same size, not necessarily the same age, could have had the same pajamas on at the same time. Yeah. So next. The next famous-ish sighting is the Smith sighting. It's at 10 o'clock. Okay. So the rejection of the Tanner sighting allowed investigators to focus on another sighting that was recorded on May 26th by Martin and Mary Smith. Again, why are we reporting this almost a month later? <laughs> almost a fucking month. Scotland York concluded in 2013 that the Smith sighting offered the time of the kidnapping. So the Smiths saw a man... At 10 o'clock, about 500 yards from the McCann's apartment, walking away from the Ocean Club toward the beach. He was carrying a girl aged 3 to 4 years old, blonde hair, pale skin, wearing light-colored pajamas, and had bare feet. The man was in his mid-30s, 5'7 to 5'9-ish, um, slim to normal build, with short brown hair and wearing cream or beige pants. Okay. The Smiths noted that he did not look like a tourist and seemed uncomfortable carrying the child. Digital drawings were made in 2008 by Oakley International, and they were made public in 2013 by Scotland Yard. So, 10 o'clock is when she was reported missing. Okay. So, 
Jerry first checked at nine o'clock. Yeah. You've already lost an hour. Yeah. And okay, say the person saw him go and check on the kids. Knew that when he went back to the table, he wasn't going to leave again for some time. Mm-hmm. At least 30 minutes, yeah. 35 minutes. Went, took a girl, and then left. So, 500 yards, that's five football fields. Mm-hmm. So, it takes. She's already gone. 500 yards, you're not catching up to somebody unless you're in a vehicle. Right. And if you think about it, it takes roughly what? Five minutes to walk the length of a football field. Yeah. If you're just walking. If you're speed walking, it takes at least three and a half. Yeah. So you're looking at at least 15 minutes to try and catch up to this person who's five or 500 yards ahead of you. You're not going to catch them unless they stop. This is what gets me. Okay. So Kate had intended to go check on them at 930. Mm-hmm. But another couple that was with them, the old fields, mm-hmm. um, the husband, Matthew, who was one of the top of seven, obviously, offered to do it when he was going to check on his own children. Okay. So there were multiple houses with multiple sleeping children in them that were unlocked. And they just happened to pick this one. First off. So, so I think it's because of the note that was left. It had to be. Someone had to have seen it. So when Matthew went to go check, he noticed that the door to the McCann kids' room was wide open again. But after hearing no noise, he left without looking far enough into the room to make sure that the kids were still there. He could not recall if the bedroom window and shutter were open. Early in the investigation, the portrait named Matthew as a suspect because he had volunteered to do the check, suggesting to them that he had handed Madeline to someone through the window. I mean, possible. Possible. So Kate did her own check at 10 o'clock. Okay. Scotland Yard investigators believe that Madeline was taken right before Kate had gotten there. She recalled entering the apartment through the unlocked patio door and noticed that the children's room, the door to their room was wide open again. When she tried to close the door, it slammed shut as though there was a draft, which is when she she saw that the window and the shutter were open. Madeline's cuddle cat stuffed animal thing and blanket were still on the bed, but Madeline was gone. Okay. After briefly searching the apartment, Kate ran back to the restaurant, screaming that she was gone. At 10.10, Jerry sent Matthew to ask the resort's reception desk to call the police, and at 10.30, the resort activated its missing child search protocol. 60 staff and guests searched until 4.30 the next morning, assuming that she had wandered off. I don't believe... That she was gone right before Kate got there. I think she was gone between the time the dad went back to the restaurant and the time she was getting checked on again. But at the same time, Kate made a point. If the window was open and someone had taken her through the window, that door would not have been open. But the first time Jerry checked. attempted to shut it. It slammed shut because it created a vacuum with the rest of the house or right. the apartment. But the first time Jerry checked, that door was op- more open than when they left. Which could have been possible because 
Madeline went to the bathroom or something. True. You know what I mean? Yeah. Kids don't always shut doors. True. So when the other person went back, same thing could have happened. Madeline could have got up and been like, where's mom and dad? Like, they're not back. Whatever. And she laid back out. Right. Cue the window opening. Startles her awake. He could he could have shut the door. The dude could have shut the door, went back to the restaurant, and then the window opens. Right. But if the window was open when either of those two would have went to check, it would have done the same thing it did for Kate. If yeah. they attempted to shut it, it would have slammed shut right. as if it was creating a vacuum. So it had to have happened between when dad went to check and mom went to check. Because you can say you went to check all you want, but you didn't actually pay attention to the You didn't actually look. You didn't look. Who's to say he even went and actually checked on the kids? Right. He could have walked into the apartment, waited five Five minutes, and walked back out. So the investigation. Okay. So there were two um, departments, I guess, that responded. I'm going to use the abbreviation for them after I say them because I'm not saying this 47,000 times, okay? Mm-hmm. So the GNR is the Guarda Nacional Republicana and the PJ, which is the Policia Judicardia, okay? Okay. So two officers from the GNR arrived at the resort at around 1110 from Lagos, which was about five miles away. Okay. And at midnight, after a sort short search they alerted the criminal police which is was the pj so whenever there's a a, an actual crime pj is called kate said that the pj arrived just after one okay they were adamant that they arrived within 10 minutes of being called no that's an hour discrepancy So around two, two canines were brought into the resort to help with the search. Right. Around eight, four search and rescue dogs arrived. So now there's six dogs. Okay. Officers from the GNR and the PJ were called in and started searching waterways, wells, sewers, ruins that were in the area, right. all that fun stuff. There were many abandoned wells, not only around the resorts, but around the coast of Portugal. Inspector... <laughs> um, Goncalo Amaral, he was the um, head of the PJ in Portimao, became the coordinator of the investigation. Okay. And that comes into play later. Shitbird. So, the mistakes that I've picked out so far. <laughs> A description of Madeline had not been given to Border Patrol for many hours after the kidnapping. So, they could have yanked her. Right. And been gone in five minutes. Yeah. And nobody knew what she looked like. Nobody performed any searches in the neighborhood. According to Kate, roadblocks were not placed until one o'clock the next morning. The police did not request vehicle surveillance, leaving Pride to Luge from the night of the kidnapping. Um, I don't know how to say this, so I'm just going to try to say it. Um, Euroscut, I think which is the company that monitors all the roadways in Europe, yeah. um, stated that they were not approached for any information. 
at any point during this investigation. It took Interpol five. So somebody lived in the fucking apartment (laughs) from the time that Madeline disappeared from or to the time you actually did your investigation in the apartment. Just so we're clear. The same thing happened outside of the apartment. A crowd had gathered by the front door, including next to the kid's bedroom, through which an abductor may have entered slash left and walked on any evidence that might have been there. Well, yeah. An officer dusted the bedroom window's exterior shutter for fingerprints without wearing gloves or any kind of protective clothing. So... On top of, I'm sorry, her parents being stupid. Yeah. There's all that shit. Like. I hate to say it, but that, the way that they're acting sounds like, like the police. The way that everything is falling into place. It was one of their own and they're covering it up. Like, that's, and I, I hate to say that because, you know, right. we're dispatchers. We're, we have their backs. Like, but in this instance, that's like some, that's like something you see in movies. Like, where it's cartel operated and right. the cops are paid to keep everything hush hush and never find the answer like that's what i'm getting out of this and it it makes my blood boil mm-hmm. but at the same time like the parents are dumb enough to fuck all the evidence saying, and it wasn't hey, just it wasn't just them it was all of the hey. couples that were in this fucking group right. left their fucking kids alone right. in their apartment like not but, throw the abduction the part McCann's, out what if your kid dumb enough to leave a note with a restaurant in an unknown place saying hey my kids are over here go ahead and fucking take them right sorry i'm yelling i know it's okay we need to put like a volume warning on this episode that's fine (laughs) so on to the british police part of the investigation uh the um i'm gonna butcher this fucking town name again Leicestershire. sure Sure, sure. Um, police agree that since the McCanns lived there, that they would handle part of the investigation. However, the main authority would still be to the Portuguese. Okay. Okay. The gold, air quote, established, which contained the Serious Organized Crime Agency, the SCOA, Child Exploitation and Online Protection Center, CEOP, and the National Police Improvement Agency. Okay. The PJ gave the gold group a room in which to work, but did not appreciate that they were there. Like, they fucking hated that they were there. Okay. It was said later that many investigators felt as though they were having their little tiny baby toes stepped on. Yeah. Even though, you know, you're not doing any fucking work. Right. Both agencies operated very differently. Uh, from how they stored their data to what permission was needed to move forward. Both agencies had totally different sets of standards and standard operating procedures for both department. Okay. Um, Both Portuguese agencies had to have approval from the magistrate to make any kind of move. Okay. Like, 
if you want to sneeze, you got to have a magistrate kind right. of thing. Obviously, the media didn't help at all. Um, a PJ officer acknowledged in 2010 that they were suspicious of the McCants from the beginning of the investigation. In 2008, Jerry told Vanity Fair that he had decided to market Madeline to keep her in the public eye. I don't no. like that fucking word. No. Um, a few PR firms arrived in Praia Deluge, and this was greatly discouraged by the local police who saw the immediate attention as counterproductive. Yes and no. Because, yeah. like, you're obviously not doing anything to get her image out there right. or anything that happened. Um, Alex Wolfall, I think, mm-hmm. was the or was from a British PR firm called Bell Pottinger. Um, he dealt with the media for the first 10 days, and then the British government sent in press officers. There had never been such a show of media in Pride Deluge prior to Lyons' disappearance. Oh. So, like, this is what put Pride Deluge on the map, was Madeline's kidnapping. The first government press officer was Cherie Dodd, a former Daily Mail journalist who was followed by Clarence Mitchell, who was the director of... Media, bleh, media monitoring, I tried to combine the two words, from the Central Office of Information. Right. The government withdrew Mitchell, and the McCants hired Justine McGinnis, who had been headhunted for the job. They set up Madeline's Fund, leaving No Stone Unturned Limited on May 15th of 2008 to raise money and awareness. Their website attracted 58 million views in the first two days. Oh. 58 fucking million views in two days. Can we have that? (laughs) Um, So the first Portuguese inquiry, so when they start actually doing an investigation, um, banned between 2007 and 2008. The first 12 days after Madeline's disappearance, uh, 34-year-old property consultant Robert Murat was named the first Arguido, and Arguido is Portuguese for formal suspect. Right. So he was born in Hammersmith, England. He lived with his mother in Pride Deluge, which was 150 yards away from the McCann's apartment. Yeah. Also, fun fact, in the same direction that Tanner saw the man with the small child walking. Just throwing that well. out there. Murat um, was named Arguido after a Sunday Mirror journalist told the police he had been asking about the case. The PJ had signed him up as an interpreter briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, he also said that he wanted to help because he had a daughter in England around Madeline's age. Okay. I get it. Yeah. You have a small child too. Feel for the parents you want to help. Right. But you're coming off a little creepy, my friend. Yeah. (laughs) Like, very. Three members from the top of seven said that they had seen Murat around the apartment shortly after the disappearance. A nanny from the Ocean Club and two other vacationers corroborated this. So, why is somebody just now saying something? Right. Why can nobody fucking communicate? <laughs> like, there's a four-year-old missing. Yeah. Can we get on the train here? Uh, May 15th, Murat's home was searched, pool drained, as well as his cars, computers, phones, and all videotapes examined. The garden was searched with ground-penetrating radar. There were canines, and two of his associates were also questioned. So we did the full work up here for once. In March 2008, one of those associates had his car burned with the word Fala, oh. 
which is beak in Portuguese, right. <laughs> spray painted on the ground by his car. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It turned out that there was nothing to link Murat to the disappearance. Um, July 21st of 2008, his Arguido status was lifted. Okay. And then he got so happy. Oh, so April 2008, he received 600,000 pounds in out-of-court settlements for libel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, there were some witnesses, kind of. Um, in statements that were provided to the PJ, witnesses described men behaving oddly around in the apartment in the days before the kidnapping and on the day itself. Scotland Yard believes that these men had been engaged in reconnaissance for the kidnapping. Possible slash probable. There have been a large increase in burglaries between Jane and May 2007, including two in the McCann's block 17 days before the kidnapping. Okay. On the day of her disappearance, there were four charity collections by two men in the streets around the apartment. Around 4 o'clock that afternoon, two black-haired men approached a British homeowner asking for funds for a hostel or hospice in Espiche. Okay. The same story was given around 5 o'clock. So, people were floating around being creepy. Right. On May 2nd, which was the day before the kidnapping, witnesses reported a blonde-haired, ugly man sitting across the road who seemed to be watching their apartment. What what qualifies as an ugly man to you? Well, (laughs) if you want me to go into a long description of my ex... (laughs) God damn. He had also been seen on April 29th near the Ocean Club, so it kind of looked like he was following the kids around. Yeah. Um, so. Well, I mean, that's what they do. They. Yeah. Like, stalk and try and. So, walk. in June, uh-huh. the McCanns were named as our Guidos. On June 6th of 2007, the media appeared to turn against the McCanns when a German journalist asked them during a Berlin press conference whether they were involved in the disappearance. June 30th, a 3,000-word article entitled The Madeline Case, A Pact of Silence, appeared in a Portuguese weekly tabloid stating that the McCanns were suspects, highlighting alleged inconsistencies between their statements and implying that the Tanner sighting had been made up. So we've already established that the Tanner sighting is not credible. Right. Right. I don't know how I feel about them being involved in it. Well, I can tell you how I I'm going to, but I'm like, not going to lie. But I also have to like make myself look presentable for when I go home because I have to take Aiden to the orphanage. <laughs> Um, but it's one of those things where, like, you want to believe that the parents aren't involved, but... But at this point, there's no saying either way. There's... There's so many things that could have prevented it. Yes. That they willingly did. Right. Like, you could have just stayed home. Or taken your kids to dinner with you. I know it's a pain in the ass sometimes to take your kids, but okay. or you need an adult day, whatever. We took our kids to a restaurant for the first time since like COVID. Yeah. Last Friday. Yeah. 
My kids act like assholes, but I still took them. Right. So reporters had obtained the top of seven's um, cell phone numbers and that of another witness. So it was apparent that there is a leak somewhere for them to get this information. You know, back when phone numbers were private. (laughs) Back when we didn't get... We've been trying to reach you about your car. Crap, I lost my place. Uh, Many of these articles implied that the McCanns and the top of seven were swingers and that they had sedated their children and that the group formed a pact of silence regarding what happened that night. Alright. Where did the swingers part come from? I mean... You do you, but... (laughs) Shit. The PJ had asked the group in Portuguese and then had someone interpret. Their statements were then typed in Portuguese and verbally translated back to them in English for them to sign. That is fucking fishy to me. Yes and no. What's to say that who's translating it or isn't being paid by the department? Right. That, that's what, <laughs> what I was getting at earlier. Like, all of this just seems like a big, huge cover-up. Yeah. There were inconsistencies on how the McCanns made entry to the apartment to check on the kids. So, according to the key, wow, PJ case file on May 4th, 2007, Jerry mm-hmm. said that they had entered through the front door for his 9 o'clock and Kate's 10 o'clock checks. Mm-hmm. In a second interview on May 10th, he said that they had entered through the unlocked patio door. Uh, The PJ also questioned why, when Kate discovered that Madeline, she had left the twins alone to run back to the restaurant instead of using her cell phone. These discrepancies led the PJ to think that they had, that there had never been an actual kidnapping, that this was planned. Kate's shout of, they've taken her, was viewed as suspicious as though she had been paving the way for an abduction story. Who took her? Like, the fact that she's saying, they've taken her. Right. And making that type of statement. Who's they? Who took her? And... To be fair... I'm sorry, but... Put yourself in her shoes for a second. If if, your kid is gone... Okay. If my kid is gone, which... I've had my kid run away from me before. Yeah. Did I know at the time that he had ran away? No. But the first words out of my mouth is, I think somebody took my kid. They took her. They took him. Yeah. Somebody took my kid. I'm not going to... How do I put this? I'm not going to sit there and... Try to put the blame on somebody Try else. Because that's somebody. what it sounds like when you say they've exactly. taken her. Who took her? Right. Like, who are you trying to blame? So, from August 2007, uh-huh. the PJ had formed their opinion of mm-hmm. what had actually happened. So, they think that Madeline had died of some sort of accident. They think it was sedation to keep her asleep while they were gone. Right. And that their parents had hidden her body for a month before retrieving her and driving her to an unknown place in a car they had rented for over three weeks after the disappearance. Okay, so, that being said, it's possible. You can't really overdose on melatonin. No. Trust me, I've taken a lot of melatonin to sleep on my off day. But if 
like, say they used, like, an actual sedative, like sleeping pills. Right. For a four-year-old, you'd have to damn near cut a sleeping pill tablet in, like, like fours. For it to not affect her. Yeah. So say they gave her a full tablet. Is it likely that she's going to die? No. She's going to be asleep for a long time. She's going to be asleep for a long time. But will she die? Probably not. No. If they gave it to her over a period of time and gave her more than one. So like they gave her one. It didn't work. Gave her another one. It didn't work. Yeah. Gave her another one. Valid point. So, say they started sedating the kids at like 6 o'clock. They give it an hour to kick in. It doesn't kick in. Mm -hmm. They up the dosage. They give her a half of a pill instead of a full one. Give it another half hour. Give her the other half. Give her the other half and it's still not working. So they just give her another one. So they can still make the reservation by 8.30. Right. Like, you're... There are warning labels on bottles for a reason. Like, I... It's for stupid people. I don't even like giving my nine-year-old, almost nine-year-old, 23 fucking days. Anyways. (laughs) My almost nine-year-old. I don't even like giving him a regular dose of like ibuprofen or Tylenol, because now the children's Tylenol stuff doesn't work on him mm-hmm. because he gets migraines that are almost as bad as mine. Yeah. So I give him a regular dose of Tylenol or a regular dose of ibuprofen, and I hate doing it because it's stronger. Yeah. And I don't know how it's going to affect him, but that's what my doctor told me to do. Like, if it was just me doing it, I wouldn't do it. Normally, a Tylenol and an ibuprofen, two hours apart, knocks his headaches out. But I shouldn't have to do it like that. Right. You know what I mean? So for them to think that it's possible that, you know, maybe they overdosed her and didn't realize it. And she didn't wake up. And then covered it up. And they covered it up. So, June 28th, 2007. um, Portugal sends a letter rogatory, I think. Um, The McCann suggested to the PJ that the police request help from Daniel Krugel, who was a South African former police officer who had developed a matter orientation system. Um which was a handheld device that he claimed could locate missing people using DNA and satellites. Right. Um, Kate sent Krugel hair and eyelashes, specifically eyelashes, from Madeline's room. (laughs) Yeah. Um, How do you know that they're hers? Right, they could be yours. They could be yours. They could be the two-year-old. I'm sorry, but my two-year-old has longer lashes than I do. Yeah. Um, July 15th, Krugel arrived in Pride Luche and told the McCanns that his equipment had picked up a static signal in the area of the beach near the Rocha Negra Cliff. Um, Inspector Amaral, who 
the one that was in charge of the inquiry, yeah. took Kate's support for Krugel as a ploy. At this point, he believed that the McCanns were involved and that Kate was using Krugel to disclose the location of her daughter's body without telling her where it is. Tell me where your daughter's body is without telling me where your daughter's it's body is. It's fucking making sense, though. Yeah, and that's the bad part. Like, I can't... Like, I, I can't form an opinion myself whether... The more you are going into his theory... Oh, he wrote a whole fucking book on this theory. The more is fucking making sense. Yeah. Because when you think about it, you've got the parents with the motive. Mm-hmm. Because they want to go out without the kids. Mm-hmm. The two-year-olds are sleeping through the night. Mm-hmm. The nosy four-year-old doesn't. So we're going to sedate her. We're going to drug her. Mm-hmm. We overdose her. We go to cover up the body. And something else that bothers me. So... All of the McCann children are test tube babies. So you mean to tell me that you paid all of this fucking money for you to kill your child? If that's what happened. It could have been an accidental killing. It absolutely could have been. However. But it doesn't make you any less of a garbage fucking human if that's what happened. So after the matter orientation bullshit. Right. Um, the PJ sent the letter rogatory, which was a request for judicial assistance to the British police to ask for assistance in their search for Madeline's body. Okay. In response to this letter, Mark Harrison, who was the national search advisor for the British National Policing Improvement Agency, say that 10 times fast, okay. arrived in Pride de Luge. Um, he walked around the search areas and flew over them by helicopter. Just to get an orientation for what's going on. In his July 23rd, 2007 report, he said that 100 officers had searched an area up to 9.3 miles around Pride Deluge, but that the officer in charge and most of the team had no training in search procedures with the exception of the search and rescue team from Lisbon. Search dogs had been used, but after days, uh, instead of the two days that the handlers recommended. So... Handler, handlers recommend like up to two days yeah. after she's been taken, but they were there five days after she was taken. Yeah. Another mistake. Just saying. Um, Harrison recommended searching the beach and shoreline, an open area near the village, Robert Ratt's property again, um, the apartment halfway again, the top of seven apartments, and any rented vehicles that anyone from the group had used. He also suggested ground-penetrating radar and bringing in two canines, Keela and Eddie, from the UK to perform another search. These dogs are the cutest fucking things. They're copper spaniels, and they're fucking adorable. Yeah. With the fluffy, furry ears. <sighs> that was the dog that I showed you earlier. I know. He's a copper spaniel. But they're so cute. He's a big, cute baby. So, Keela was a CSI dog trained to give her handler, Martin Grime, a passive alert to the scent of human blood by pacing... Sorry, by placing her nose close to the spot, then freezing in position. So, like, pointing. Eddie was a cadaver dog and gave a bark alert to the scent of a human cadaver. This included shortly after death, if the remains were buried, burned, or in water. He was trained to only bark for an alert and for absolutely no other reason. Okay? So, July 31st of 2007, the dogs arrived in Pride Deluge. 
they were immediately taken to the apartment, a nearby dump, and the beach. Both dogs alerted behind the sofa in the living room, and Eddie alerted in the closet of the master bedroom. No other alerts were given at the beach or the dump. Tell me that's not fishy. The PJ obtained warrants to search the house the McCanns had rented um, on Rua de Flores and the vehicle that they had rented 24 days after the disappearance. Okay. Those places were searched on August 2nd. The only alert from Eddie was when he found Cuddle Cat, her stuffed animal. Mm-hmm. Um, police left with boxes of the McCann's clothes, Cuddle Cat, a pair of latex gloves, which is kind of weird to me, um, suitcases, a notepad, two diaries, including the one Kate had started after the disappearance, and a friend's Bible that she was given. The items were taken to a separate location where Eddie alerted on one of the boxes of clothing. A source close to the McCann's lawyers told the media that if there was a smell of corpse on Kate's clothes, it could have been caused by her contact with corpses as a family doctor. What kind of family doctor has contact with corpses? None. Just saying. None. The police also removed the rental vehicle the McCanns were using after the disappearance. On August 6th, the vehicle was taken to an underground car park opposite the PJ headquarters for Eddie and Keela to search. Ten cars were parked there, including the McCann's rental and Robert Murat's vehicle. Okay. Okay. Eddie alerted on the driver's door of the McCann's vehicle. Keela alerted to the rear driver's side inside the trunk and map compartment of the driver's door. So the little slot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I see the wheels turning. All evidence is compiling against the parents. Yeah. And no one thought that, you know, why is it still a cold case? Because there's no body. All of the evidence leads to parents. It doesn't matter that there's not a body. I know. I'm just saying. That's probably a large reason why it's not closed. How many people have, okay, Jennifer Dahmer killed how many people? A lot. Sorry, my nose itches. John Wayne Gacy killed how many people? A lot. <laughs> that we know of. Right. There are still the John Wayne Gacy oh, yeah. killed that have yet to be found. But yet he was still tried and convicted on those. So why can't her parents be? So now we're getting to their official Arguedo status. So they are now officially formal suspects in mm-hmm. the case. According to Kate which I don't know how much I believe this. Um, The PJ proposed that if she were to admit that Madeline had died in an accident in the apartment and that she had hidden the body, she might only serve a two-year sentence. Jerry would not be charged and would be free to leave. Why would he be free to leave? He's the first one to check. He's the first one to check, but the dog alerted to the box of Kate's clothes. True. Not his. So it makes her look like she did it. Look like she did it instead of him. So she would have to serve time because of circumstantial evidence against her as opposed to him having to do it. He would just be an accessory at that point. And they're trying to get her to confess by saying, hey, if you confess to it, you serve this amount of time, but your husband walks free. Uh It's an incentive, but she's not taking it. No. 
bitch is a piece of shit. Just serve your fucking two years. Admit that you killed your fucking kid and call it a day. Are you good? No. Okay. <laughs> like, I'm pissed. I know. Because you are sitting there and basically denying having any involvement with your daughter's disappearance or death at this point. Because obviously a cadaver dog smells it. And hit on it. She is fucking dead. And you had something to do with it. And you're still just going to sit there and act like nothing fucking happened. Mm -hmm. Because, oh, God forbid I don't get to be with my other two children that I don't want anyway. Right. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Oh, Christ. Okay. Both Jerry and Kate were given our Guido status on September 7th and were advised by their lawyer to not answer any questions. The PJ told Jerry that Madeline's DNA had been found in the trunk of their rental and behind the sofa in their apartment. Why behind the sofa, though? That's what I don't get. Like, did you did you put her there? So, oh, hold on. She's four. Yes. Kids around that age like to play hide and seek. Yeah. Okay. Did the dog alert behind the sofa? Yes. I wasn't fully paying attention because I was super small. But, okay, so the dog alerts behind the sofa. Could just be smelling her? Could be. I mean, I'm sure a body gives out different smells when it's alive or dead. But But the pheromones are still the same. Right. But here, hear me out. Okay. Kids her age like to play hide and seek. Say one of the other couples came over and they didn't know anything about it. She was playing hide and seek and she fell asleep behind the couch. It would have been a viable excuse. Yeah. At that point in time. Like now I'm just giving the fucking parents excuses. No, you're you're pointing out valid things that could have happened, but but it, it's one of those things where like you think of all of the plausible things that a four year old would do. Right. Gordon likes to hide behind the fucking because it's like one of those tunnel toys. Yeah. Because I have a big ass sectional. Mm-hmm. He chases the dogs through there and the cats. Then he comes out on the other side. When it's not pushed all the way against the wall. But it's... Maybe they were hiding her behind there because... They thought somebody was coming? They thought someone was coming? And then moved her to the bedroom? But I... I don't know. I'm trying to sit here and piece together all of the shit. And... Like, I'm just getting more and more pissed. Oh, well, you're about to get a little more angry. Um, Jerry was questioned. He did respond to his questions. But Kate declined to answer the 48 questions she was asked during the 11-hour interview. Despite their Arguedo status, the McCanns were allowed to leave Portugal. They were advised by their lawyers to leave immediately and arrived back in England on September 9th of 2007. Okay. So, September 10th, the following day, 
the chief inspector of the PJ signed a nine-page report that stated that Madeline had died in the apartment as a result of an accident, that the restaurant meal and apparent regular checks on the children had been part of a cover-up, and that the Tapas 7 had helped to mislead the police, and that the McCanns concealed the body and then faked an abduction. All without any formal conviction. July 21st of 2008, the Portuguese Attorney General announced that there was no evidence to link the McCanns or Robert Murat to the disappearance. As a result, their Arguido status was lifted and the case was marked as closed. I want to know what he said during his interview. Yeah. I want to know why Kate wouldn't answer the questions. I'm sure she was fed up with all the bullshit by then. Oh, she didn't answer the questions because she's fucking guilty. Right. And her lawyer said, don't answer any fucking questions. Right. So there's many um, updated age progression photos of Madeline out there. She still has not been found right. alive or dead, obviously. Um, if you have any information, you can contact Operation Grant. In the UK, the phone number is 0207-321-9251. And anywhere else but the UK, um, the phone number is 44207-321-9251. Or you can email them at operation.grange.met.pnn.police.uk. Nope, or you can call Curse, or um, there's a website, www.findmadeline.com. And that will be in the show notes for the show, just in case you can't listen to my speed talking anymore. <laughs> and that is the unsolved case of Madeline McCann. I know it would be frowned upon, but can I, like, email them and tell them they're fucking idiots? Because all of the evidence is right fucking there. I'm sure they get those daily. Um, there was one newspaper, I can't remember which one it was, I just, I don't get but it. they had to turn off commenting on their website, like news articles that came out about Madeline, mm -hmm. because people were bashing them and sending them death threats daily. I wouldn't send them death threats. I would just tell them what complete and utter fucking morons they are. I mean, we know that. Because. We know they're morons. You have all of the evidence leading to your prime suspect. Who would not answer questions. If you are innocent, I am sorry, but I would do everything in my power to fucking try and prove that I am innocent. I agree. I, I would go against, you know, my lawyer saying, hey, shut the fuck up. I would, <laughs> <laughs> I would literally be sitting there with words coming out of my mouth like they are right now, basically, <laughs> because I didn't kill my kid. Right. But the moment that you clam up, that means you're fucking guilty and you don't want anyone to sign out. The dog, the cadaver dog hit on your fucking clothes. Yeah. And on the driver's side of the vehicle. In the vehicle. In, in the trunk. The, where you multiple, would put a body. Multiple fucking spots in your apartment. Behind the fucking couch. Like, why can't you just admit the fact that, hey, I fucked up. I drugged my kid. She died as a result. I hid her body to cover it up. Tried to fake an abduction. Mm -hmm. Serve my two years. Because if that's all you're fucking getting, you're Take getting it. off fucking way easier than... Well, we're also assuming she's going to make it out. At this point, she deserves not to. 
not. I just shit. <laughs> as a parent, fuck, hate my kid. Yeah, I I agree. You're not wrong. Well, I just I know you're angry. Um, all of our socials are in our show notes. Yes. Um, I will also add the reporting information in case you do have any information about Madeline or where she may or may not be. Um, with that, stay safe. And try not to become the next Ben Zero. Or find Kate McCann. Yes. <laughs>